Warning, if you listen to the Hideous Laughter podcast, you know that we like to delve into darker subject matter. However, this show will contain subject matter that is even darker than what is normally in the HLP. There are themes such as extreme gore and torture in the evil interlude. So, listeners, if that is not your jam, please continue to tune in to the regular episodes, but maybe give this one a skip. Otherwise, enjoy the evil interlude. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Hideous Laughter Podcast. And yet again, it's an episode of the Evil Interlude. Guys, what are we drinking tonight? Oh, we are still drinking blood rum. Uh, we actually are recording this right after the previous one. Uh, just went downstairs, downed uh, quite a few boozy blackberries. Yeah, Steve was drinking a lot after the... Uh... The outcome of that combat. I watched him drink during that combat. And That's it was what I like, was going to say. During the it's combat. It's like drinking out of a fire hose, but the fire hose was hams. So so I want to I want to paint a picture for our listeners. I drank my blood punch in about 20 minutes of the last episode, and I had a line of hams because I knew going in, we, we took a break um, between episode two and three or what or whatever happened. Um, uh, episode 10 and 11. Episode 10 and 11. Interlude. And so I knew that Ed and I were going to be pre- the only ones who could really do anything, at least in the beginning. So I came in loaded with my drink and several cans of hams. And uh, I drank them all in about 40 minutes because I was stress drinking. And I still am. I'm amped up. I'm I mean, there's one time I've been closer to death without going under in an actual play podcast or not podcast. Uh, fuck. What am I even talking about? I'm all sorts of fucked up from my almost death experience. <laughs> I'm just going to stop talking. It's, it's terrifying. I almost lost saw who, uh, is cast as me. So I almost lost myself. I lost myself. I lost myself. I do think that that goes uh, down in record as a least effective player that has ever happened. Yeah, uh, Haley Gordon, round of applause, <laughs> Fernando. Wow, I'm not gonna give a. I'm not gonna actually clap to that because as Ikmer, I don't know if if anybody knows that uh, I play Ikmer on a different uh, <laughs> series of you know things. All in all, uh, I don't contribute much knowledge to that to that one, and uh, you know, so, so I do the whole, the whole swingy. And- I, I do the whole like swingy sword thing, and yeah, that <laughs> works. Are you trying to say? He's trying to say that he tried to play a melee cleric that was not designed that way, and also tried to roll two knowledge planes checks, neither of which beat. <laughs> A fucking even fifteen, which still wouldn't have gotten any information. I I have nothing. I have nothing concrete to say in actual defense of this, but 
from, I guess, from where I'm sitting, there, there wasn't any actual way to prepare. So, fair enough. Well, I, so, put, I put up about 200 points of damage and I'm lying bleeding out in the dirt. So, that's where I'm at. Lying on the floor. You found Saw. You found Saw. No one stabilized him. All right, I'll where was He's dying. Where, He's dying. Where was I grandma? Did. Where was grandma? <laughs> Eating I, I, her own cookies. So, where we last found our heroes, they had de- defeated the Sacristan Chitin that was summoned into the basement of this cabin. It looks like it burst through the earth in the basement, which caused all the difficult terrain that you encountered. Ooh. Hmm. It screamed at you. We had saw 1v1-ing it. We had the girls 1v1-ing each other. We had all kinds of fun. But you managed to defeat it. You managed to kill it. And now you have a party member who is not dead, but who is bleeding out on the ground. Griffin, uh, before we start really anything, I I just want to do a quick check as far as the episode before the last one. There is a will save that I had to make. When I was the first uh, first watch, so so that I would not possibly open this book, and I'm not compelled to read it. Yeah, I would like to do some sort of, I guess, deductive reasoning on whether whether or not that because Saw opened it up, that's what exactly summoned this. When you go back upstairs, you can make a spellcraft check. Or uh, if you have the cantrip read magic, you could also use that. But for right now, Nanopal is going to rush over and shove a cure serious down Saw's throat. I, I'm going to pick up my wand and attempt to help. But I'm yeah, pretty so selfish. We'll, we'll, do, we'll do the healing off air. I imagine you guys have enough Oh yeah, I just want to make sure that full. the first thing that Saw saw when he came back was Nanopal. <laughs> You. And, and when he does, it's, I mean, it's, his body is literally regrowing itself because as I described in the last episode, he was just getting torn apart. And when he went under, he was still in that hybrid form. Now, unlike a regular barbarian that, you know, when you go unconscious, you lose your con score and that could be death. I, I don't get con bumps when I uh, rage. So that's not something I was too worried about. Um, but... I mean, he was a, a fucking mess when he went down, and he wakes up, Nana Opal standing above him, and all he says is, uh, did, did, did we, did we get him? Yes, dearie, here's a cookie to help your pain. Um, he limply <laughs> opens his mouth. <laughs> Nana she'll, Opal baby birds it yeah, into no, his mouth. She'll break apart little pieces and put them in his mouth. Ugh. Thanks, I hate it. And he'll softly <laughs> chew, maybe on the second or third, swallow, cough a little bit as a little bit uh, obstructs his breathing. Spits but then out he, a couple teeth, yeah. continues to chew. <laughs> oh, he absolutely spits out teeth. Uh, he's torn to shreds. I mean, he's at 
negative 12, I believe. He was, yes. Yeah, before any sort of healing. So I'll allow you guys to heal up off air. And if you'd like to go upstairs, then you could potentially make some checks on this book. I'd be interested in a spellcraft. It'd be a spellcraft, uh, a read magic, a knowledge arcana. I'll allow any of those. My spellcraft is a plus 14, so I'm going to go with that. I will try to aid you. Saw, I will actually allow you to aid. You remember what page this book opened to because it had a diagram in it. Okay, uh, to aid, is that your, would you just want that to be like a flat D20 check? Um, because I don't have any sort of skills that would be appropriate. I would, use, I would use perception. I think when they're okay, when they're scrolling through the pages, you might be like, oh, that's the one that that I saw. Well, if it is a perception check, I definitely do beat the 10 DC to aid. Okay. Is uh, Ed doing anything to help? Yeah, so for this, he would probably... Well... Wouldn't you know, um, the strange lettering here seems to follow... Just one uh, type of arcana. It's it's a bit strange. He's gonna he's gonna try. Oh yeah, uh, he needs uh, aids arcana check. I, I was doing a spellcraft. That's fine. Okay. Any oh, any of the other checks could fine. aid you. Yeah. Uh, okay. thirty four total. Yeah, with the thirty four. You know relatively easily that this book contains a lot of shadow related magic. Uh, magic that calls to the shadow plane. When Saw aids you, he actually points out, he kind of describes to you what happened at this point, because in in all the hustle and bustle of him waking you guys up after hearing something in the basement, he didn't get to explain to you that what happened right before that is he felt like he needed to check out this book. Is this in like a language I can read? If you have read magic, you can read it. It's okay, in a so code. It's just magic. Yes. So Saul would point you to the correct page with with your thirty four spellcraft. You can tell that um, this was a spell to open a portal to the shadow plane that summoned this Sacristan Chiton. That 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 page right there. With the 34, I will allow you to know that there are other summoning rituals in this book. Uh, this book is likely very valuable to worshippers of Zankathan because it details a lot of shadow magic that is relatively difficult to cast. You would think summoning something as, as strong as what you faced is not an easy task, and there are many similar spells in this book. This book is fairly expensive. We're gonna take it. It's valuable. Can you keep it from acting up again? Hmm, I think so. Whose watch is it? With a 34. I'm going the fuck to bed. Spellcraft. You have no idea whether you're gonna be able to take control of this book. It still stands what I said. 
I'll throw it in my bag. So you throw it in your bag, and you guys drift off to slumberland. And a new day dawns. So night's rest? So you get a night's rest. Oh, spells. Yeah, please. uh, Regain all your spells. Pick new spells as you see fit. Oh, thank you. (laughs) So the morning comes, but it still doesn't look like morning outside. You've gotten deep enough into the Uskwood and deep enough into Nadal where everything at least looks like it's dusk. It's dark. You set back out, being especially wary because you know that the shades of the Uskwood likely knew your previous location and may be looking for you. By the way, I don't know if this matters at all, but I would prepare read magic for the next day. It wouldn't stop you from taking it. I mean, again, you're kind of reading the spells that are in here. They're very valuable spells. Okay, sounds good. Thank you. They're higher than anything you think you can cast. So, you make your way through the forest. Please make another survival check. I'm going to try to aid Ed Turner. I don't. Saw tried rolling his own, but uh, his thoughts are distracted. Coming so close to death really, I mean, really fucked him up bad. It kind of doesn't seem like he's all there today, and he rolled an eight. Oh, good. Yeah. All totally. right. So, uh, without the aids of both of his uh, friends, Ed Turner. Rolled a whopping, whopping. Jesus Christ. No, it, it wasn't Jesus Christ. It, it was just a 14. All right. Nana, did you roll your own? Yes. I rolled a two on the die, so a one. <laughs> oh, boy. You guys spend five hours attempting to go in the direction of the castle of the captive son where you know you'll be able to meet umbral agents that can take you into Pangalay without any scrutiny after five hours you find yourselves back at the cabin what? you're kidding a 14 is a fail by I know more than 10 it's fine so do we just try again this may surprise you, but you I don't want to go into the basement no direction. Again. Which um, Mr. Turner might have access to. I'm not positive. I know it's a ranger spell, um, but that would give you a better chance at doing this. I also don't have that available. So you roll another survival check. So as far as uh, knowing direction. Yeah, that's uh, that's a no from from me. So you don't have it either. I wasn't sure which spell list that's on. I know it's on a couple as a cantrip. So roll a survival check again. Two All right. this time. Oh, I rolled a one. I don't aid. Well, the four off the dice, so I don't aid either. Wow, we all have to put our faith in Brooks. So, <laughs> does anyone want to guess? 
How, one. Yeah. That was a, the, like, man. It How'd becomes you know? evening again. I, 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 uh, took executive judgment here and put his dice in my dice jail. Smart. That's smart. Uh, you guys are over 10 hours behind schedule. And you are confronted in the woods by two figures. A, well, they're both very pale. One wears a black leather armor, has a bow in his hand, appears to be looking for tracks. The other is in robes, and he looks lankier, taller, and more gaunt than the other figure. He does not appear human. And they appear to be following your tracks until they notice that you're there. Do they follow it in a circle as well? Yeah, they kind of like, you know, they pick up your trail, they realize you're lost, they see where you came from, and they head towards the cabin. And they find you about an hour out of the cabin on your second failed survival check. So we we see them, right? Yes, you see them. Hello, dearies. Uh, we're a little lost. Can you help us? Um, you wouldn't happen to be a Miss Nana Opal, would you? I absolutely am. Have you heard of my bakery? I haven't heard of your bakery. Um, we were sent to find you when, well, we're the our agents that are meant to take you to Pangalay. We, um, we waited for you for about five hours. Even at, better, thank you. At the castle of the captive son, and when you, when you hadn't arrived, well, we figured the, the escort isn't safe at night. We try and find you as best we could. It seems we have. Are you the rest of, uh, Mr. Vrood's crew? Yes, you've met the correct party. I ask of you, is this... Vol- well, what is your name? Uh, my name is Gardy. It's a pleasure to meet you. Much appreciated, sir. We... Seem to seem to have turned ourselves around. <laughs> That's clearly true. I I can get you to the to the castle of the the captive son, and from there, you know, it being late, maybe um, you know, maybe we can convince Volzani to allow us to stay the night, and then we get you to Pangolay in the morning. Absolutely. In the meantime. If you don't mind, I will, uh, well, make a beer happen to uh, be in my hand. Wow. What's your caster level, sir? You you managed to summon one in mine as well. (laughs) You know, it's one of those things. Sometimes it's one, 
Sometimes it's two. You would, um, you would hear the other man, Garrity, um, this isn't, you're being far too pleasant. We have a plan of action and we need to fulfill it. Let's get them there, get them to Pangalay, get them to your mother and get out of this. Your mother? We're supposed to meet a Mrs. Margaret O'Leary. Ah, well, um, <laughs> funny you should say that. And, um, you can roll a knowledge local real quick. No, I can't. Nope. If you have it. <laughs> Ooh, I can. You know, uh, your boy. Eleven. Everybody's favorite. The high roller. The high roller. Oh, uh, Mr. Ed Turner. Yeah. I was looking for my other dice for a second, and I, and I remembered where it was, so. Uh, all right, so, uh, 16-er. Yeah, um, Ed can tell that this man isn't fully human either. The other one looks less convincingly so human, but this one appears to pass for human. He is a vampire. That you can tell. Maybe he smiles at you and you can see his fangs. Um, and it makes sense to you that you're supposed to be meeting this Margaret O'Leary. She is a vampire on the Umbral Court. If this were her son, well, a vampire kind of makes sense. Yeah. So, you two don't exactly look like the sort of folk that are uh, much afraid of the darkness and... <laughs> No, of course we're not. Well, I mean, we're umbrella agents after all. We may be new, but it doesn't mean we're not capable. I I don't believe we've introduced ourselves properly. I, I know who all of you are from our dossier, but um, again, my name is Garrity. This is my associate, Fink. We're, well, we may be new or umbrella agents, but... Um, we're more than capable of getting you to Pangalay unharmed. Lead the way, then. Well, I do believe, um, unless we want to go through the Eskwood at night, we should stop at Volzani's castle. He has been asking, um, which of you is, uh, Mr. Turner? I am present. He's been asking for you specifically, uh, and I wouldn't to keep him from a conversation with the man he's been asking about for f three, four days now. What? Otherwise, I'd be in quite a bit of trouble. You know, him being a full vampire and me being a vampire, it is a delicate political situation, if you don't mind me saying. Much appreciated. In all honesty, we are not quite as versed in vampire culture and what not but we would very much so appreciate your company on the way there well we'd be happy to give you guidance and so they would lead the way and and get you guys to the castle of the captive son 
Now, as you approach, this building seems like it comes out of nowhere in the forest. There is a large clearing of trees, but it is still in the depths of the Uskwood. Which seems strange to you, for this such a magnificent building be built right in the middle of a forest. The walls are a pallid gray, but give off this brilliance that seems unnatural. The, um, you know, the stone is almost marble-like. You can tell a structure this size likely wouldn't be crafted out of marble. It'd be far too expensive. But there's that doubt in your mind, like, maybe it is. Because it kind of shimmers in the dusk and the the husky notes of the Nidalee's evening. And then you see it. The windows. For the first time in a doll, you see bright light coming out of the windows of this castle. It looks like sun again. So it's a sparkly castle that holds a vampire, and the vampire is in bright light. Well, also so we're werewolves fucking with some twilight, and, uh, yeah, you know. <laughs> some twilight vampires. And also, like when you have sex with the vampire, the baby's born, but it grows twice its age really fast. Yeah, and then, you know, has sex with the werewolf. It's a whole thing that happens. So, so sorry. I had to build this evil interlude off of something, okay? <laughs> I'm not that creative. So by that logic, is Garrity O'Leary cast as Robert Patterson? Neat. You know who he's cast as, but sure, uh, fine. He's he's so as mad. As I know. You fucking turd. <laughs> so you reach this castle. Splendid smooth stoned but just strange in its dazzling display in an area that is so dark Garrity would know the the knock to get you in to the front gate without issue you make your way in thanks Steve that's exactly what it was a Sirenscape. Oh, yeah, Sirenscape? Because <laughs> you're that good at Sirenscape. Yep. Uh, so you make it in, and it's weirdly deceptive. As brilliant as the lights you saw from the outside of the castle were, the inside is radiant and beautiful and just surpasses your expectations for something in this gray dour country okay and a man approaches you and he is wearing a gray luxurious silk robe which has a golden chain between the two clasps and a high collar also ribbed with gold hmm what do we have here are these my esteemed guests, Gerdy? Yes, sir. These are, um, well, Ed Turner's here. He's the one you've been waiting for. Well, welcome to me. Come in, come in. Welcome. Welcome to the, well, we call it the Castle of the Captured Sun. 
You will learn why if you come inside. I am very happy to meet you. Well, I assume this is uh, Valzani that we yes, are speaking yes, with? Yes, you've, you've found me out too quickly. I like to keep an air of mystery, mystery around my name, but I needed to tell um, your friend Aaron Vrood that uh, I was so interested to have you here. And, well, welcome here. I mean, please come in. Again, we thank you for your hospitality. Oh, it's no problem for me. Well, I won't lie. I This is a bit of a strange, I guess, occurrence that we are able to meet uh, and, and be on on your path as far as when it comes to where we would like to travel. What is it exactly you would like to speak about? And he would kind of lean in to add. Well, I am very curious that, um, you know, Aaron told me I'd be able to talk to a man that is a follower of uh, Grotius, and I am beyond excited to hear how your faith has shaped you, my friend, because I am a stalwart worshipper of Zankuthan, and I I am curious. I, I want to know more, if, if you understand me. I think that... Um, well, Grotius has piqued my interest as of late. As the end of the world and um, Zankuthan's machinations are somewhat, um, somewhat aligned, in in my opinion. Oh, really? That is something I can agree with. His plan overall is sheer destruction and when exactly that is is completely unknown well you and I will have to talk more but I insist you have dinner here I have the finest foods for mortals like you and I I think you'll enjoy the accommodations that we have here you um you would never find another place like this in, um, well, in the doll period. Okay. And he would take you inside, and you would immediately realize that he is probably right. The first room in this castle is a long hall. And by long hall, I mean a longer hall than any of your characters have likely ever seen. It's a table that seats over a hundred people. And 75% of the chairs are full. Make a either knowledge religion, knowledge local, or knowledge planes check. They will all have the same DC, so feel free to roll whichever you please. Except for you, Saw, because you're a big old dum-dum. I have Knowledge Nature at a plus three, (laughs) which isn't even that good. (laughs) I like Knowledge Religion. 
Yeah, that one's... That one's, uh, well... Thank goodness I'm rolling good now, because, uh, that is a 26. 22 over here. 18. Alright, for for which check? Knowledge planes. Planes. Also religion. Also religion. So, Mr. Turner would notice... Actually, Saw, you can roll a perception as well. Um, oh, thanks. So yeah, I'm just trying to make you feel included. That's a natural 19, so okay. 26. First thing Saw notices is that most of the people at this table are shackled there. They don't appear to be in pain or be suffering in any way, but they are shackled there. Now, what Mr. Turner knows is that with with his religion check, there are a weird amount of Serenites here, uh, those that worship Serenrae, the goddess of the sun. What Nana Opal recognizes is that there are a strange amount of Asimar also trapped here. Also celestial-blooded folk. It seems odd. It seems like a completely diametric to what a vampire would be all about. There are very many holy and sun um, themes in this room, especially with the people occupying it. So 75% of the chairs are full of people? Yes, there are roughly 75 people in here. Oh my, did we walk into a dinner party? Um, I have those... Um, Relatively often, as as it were, but tonight, no. We we like to treat our guests well, and so they, well, they have the finest food and the finest drink, and they they are just allowed to enjoy themselves. And with these uh, these folks from the dinner party chained to the table, Saul will turn to Nana open we up. Oh, it looks like they're celebrating just like we celebrate our dinner parties. Yes, uh, it looks just like uh, our dinner parties that we've had with uh, Sandra and Martha and our entire crew. I will say, though, it is quite strange to, to have this many people here especially within the uh, with this I guess the spirit of Grotus in mind Fair. these are Mrs. Son you are you are among, amongst the living so I, I will spell this out for you as the older you get as a vampire the hungrier you are it's very hard to control this hunger but what do you know about uh, Zankuthan? Can I potentially make a knowledge check about this? Because I, as a player, think I know what's happening, right? Yep, go ahead. Uh, be a knowledge religion. Ooh, 19 on the die plus 13. No. 32. 32. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so with a 32, you do know that worshippers of Zankuthan it display their worship by inflicting pain on themselves. A hall filled with 
holy outsiders being the Asimar or worshippers of the sun is likely the only way that a vampire can pray to Zonkathon. Inflicting pain on a vampire is difficult because they regenerate and they don't die and they don't really feel pain the same as an undead creature, but they do feel pain in the burn of sunlight and the burn of holy energy. And you can see this displayed prominently in this hall. Ah, this is such a great hall to worship your your uh, Zon Kuthan in. I'm sure this is quite painful in the best way. Miss Opal, do you um do you enjoy spicy food? A little, but I'm an expert in sweets. Well, um as a vampire, and I know you do not understand these things, but as a vampire, when you when you drink of the blood of a of a holy man or a, a man touched by the the divine, um, it it burns in such a way that I remember when I was a man, just a man, and they would have a a hot pepper. It burns. It burns me inside when I feel this, and I cannot have normal food, but it is so exquisite having this this holy blood. Oh, oh what a delight it sounds. Nice burn. Well, uh, what I will say to all of you is that I would love to have you in the home um, until tomorrow morning. You know, you can you can stay. We have the the finest rooms, as uh, the most luxury. You are living, so we have a ton of food for you to enjoy. But, um, well, I want you to be comfortable here, and then and then you can be on your way. My only ask is that I get the moment to spare with, uh, with your friend Father Turner, or Mr. Turner, as he's called. Oh, you're too kind. Mr. Turner will do just fine. Absolutely, I, I'd be happy to give a moment of my time. Mr. Turner, would, would you like someone with you when you have this conversation? As a protection? And he's like, kind of holding his great sword. Like, do you want to go off with these people by yourself? <laughs> do you uh, trust them? I'm going to go ahead and roll a perception on that. Wouldn't it be Natural a sense 20. motive, Griffin? Well, no, I think the motive is pretty clear. He's not bluffing. It's just to hear the... Oh, that's fine. Yeah, no, either either way, if it were a sense motive or a perception, uh, and regardless of the natural 20, I mean, I'm, I'm a little... No, I understand, so I understand your concern. Like, I think yeah. I think he just, if he's if he's going to hear this, he, oh, he wants okay. to... Uh, my friend, um, Mr. Moon Isle, it was, right? That is correct. You have no worries with your friend. I mean, let's be very honest... I'm a very old vampire. I could tear you in half if I wanted to, but I don't. Okay? I want your friend to, um, you know, I, I, I've heard about his mind, and I'm very interested in, in the things he has, the things he worships. I, I would not hurt your friend. Be, be very, feel very sound in that fact. 
if this is true, then he can chat with you as much as he wants. I just want to make sure that he feels safe. I understand that you've been around. I understand that you can do what you like, but frankly, we've been through a lot. Oh, that's okay. I understand being very, you know, I, I would be very if I if I had, um, you know, somebody come and tell me that um, my friend was, oh, my friend is so important and I need to take him and uh, talk to him by himself. Yes, I understand. Nadal I, hasn't been kind to us. No, you went through, through the Uskwood. No. You know, it's just um, the fucking shades of the Uskwood. We have to deal with them all the time. And and frankly, I, I appreciate your hospitality, but we, we need to be careful. You understand. No, I totally So do. I just want to make sure that he feels safe. If he feels safe, there, there's nothing to worry about. Perfect. I'm glad that we all agree that this is fine. But I would like some food. I would like if you have any discarded skins. And I would like to go to bed. Okay, you could do all three of those. I'm sure there are discarded skins in this castle. Fantastic. Now Opal is going to recreate Saul's vest that got ripped up and then oh, give it back to him. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, God. I'm going to cry. <laughs> and then she'll go to bed. So, Volzani would, um, you know, as you guys are eating, he would make sure that Mr. Turner has a bite to eat. He knows that humans need to eat but then he would take him aside and and he would say well um would you be willing to walk with me through the through the castle grounds i i have a few things i want to talk to you about oh it is my pleasure i'd love to see the garden the maze your beautiful hedges outside please take me So you would walk uh, from the brightly lit hall into the the gloom of the night in the doll. And it seems that your host can see perfectly, which you would expect. Um, And he asks you, Mr. Turner, if you don't mind me um, asking questions about your faith, I have not met many... Men of Grotius um, living in the Dal, and most of us worship Zonkuthan, but I, I am curious. Um, what do you think about the end? Do you know anything about it? Do you know when it might happen? It does your God speak to you in that way? You know, I very much so appreciate the the question of when it will end and your question that it will end to start off but absolutely I'd I'd love to share and to my knowledge and how he speaks to me is through the chaos that I bring into the well if I can say drab and mediocre lives of the mere peasant people that you and I walk amongst but are above 
And so when you say what I think of the end, I love to think of the chaos of it. Is this what interests me too? Because I have lived a very long time, as you, as you might know, or do know now. And I, I think that, well, it would be, it would be folly for me to offer you this now, but I, I do enjoy, I do enjoy our conversation. I'd like to hear about the end. I feel like we as undead kind of need something that is final. Ah, it's fantastic that you bring up final. The final day is is really our mere holiday, but I feel that based on the things that we can do, if we can bring that final day just that much sooner, then why shouldn't we? Are we good followers if we don't? Let us bring more and more souls to the boneyard. That much more for which Grotus will eventually envelop. Well, I do think that our two deities can work together in a way. And I, I had an idea, and I wanted to. I, I had asked your friend Aaron to, um, to make sure you made a stop here because I wanted to offer you something. If you can, well, if you can sway uh, Zankuthan, you know, my deity, to favoring you in some way, well, I think that you might deserve to see that end of days. If I were to transform you, Mr. Turner, well, you would never need to think that uh, you wouldn't last until the end of days because you would. You would be eternal and be able to shepherd that many more souls to Grotus. Ah, I would be absolutely honored by your proposal to bring that much more to Grotus through the Boneyard. And I humbly accept your offer. Very good, very good. This is what I was hoping for. See, I cannot give you this gift now, but... If you do find yourselves, I know that um, Margaret in in town is going to is going to put you through some sort of trial, pish posh. But it it does have to happen for Uncle Santa smile on you. But if you pass this trial, I I see no qualm with my God in in making you an immortal. Just the car of yours. I think that, you know, if we can have multiple deities in our hearts, then, well, there is no issue. 
the anime come and whether it comes by killing people to send them there or torturing them for a long period of time or torturing oneself well who am I to judge ah these sort of talks really make me want to summon just one more beer could you summon me like a goblet of blood as well absolutely would you like fruit? <laughs> no, I do not like fruit in my blood. I just like um, blood of the Asamar. Absolutely. And these are the sort of things that Gronus is able to provide with, with or provide to us based on the absolute chaos on everything that we may do. And... I absolutely would love to travel to where our our contact is able to direct us in the sense of living immortally and passing on our fellowship to many abroad, especially the any, well, I want to say anyone that passes through the graveyard because what it ends up boiling down to is if they are souls pass through we can and will be succumbed by Grotus on the final day and so you and Volzani have this conversation and the rest of you feast and you rejuvenate and you are given the most lavish accommodations to sleep. And the next morning, Garrity and Fink escort you out of the castle of the captive son and through the last stretch of the Uskwood to Pangalay. You are unmolested during the day. Although you find that the darkness deepens the further into the forest that you get. And you come up on a ridge. And for the first time, you see not trees, not forest, but buildings sprawling out under the dusky sky and the city is massive the architecture is sprawling and pointed and jagged but the other things you see are from this vantage point the city appears to sparkle in different shades of gray against the dark sky you see the illumination of this city and it just appears to bustle before you you're taken in through the streets and normally the guards posted there would question and they have been questioning outsiders coming in but they don't question you because you are escorted by umbral agents the most highly regarded defense force in Pangalay and you are ushered in by Garrity and Fink Garrity would say well um my mother wants to 
meet you at um, a place called the Moth to Flame. It's um, it's a bar around here. They put on quite the spectacle, but uh, usually you can go by unnoticed if you sit in a corner booth. So she's asked me to, to direct you there and then leave you there, and she'll find you. Um, it's been pleasant traveling with you. I, I appreciate you for not causing too much trouble, even though we had to come find you in the in the woods, but if you're if you're friends of the Umbral Court, I suppose you're friends of us. And so I appreciate you. And he would take you to the Moth to Flame with Fink and they would take their leave. Much he- appreciated. Seems like we really have nowhere left to sink. <laughs> That's a great joke for people yeah, who very funny. for people who know the band like Moths of Flames from Columbus, Ohio. You enter the Moths of Flame, and there is a reserved corner booth. There's a man standing in front of it. Um, you would express who you are. He would say, "Okay, you're on the list." Let you sit down. It's kind of like a VIP area. What you see in front of you is a, well, a kind of crazy show. It looks like a dancer at first, but then, and and those of you that are spellcasters can tell, they're using vast amounts of illusion magic in this show. And those dancers are hanging from the air with hooks through their skin. Nope. They're performing a beautiful dance, but you can tell that it's hinted with this veneer of pain that they're going through as as they hang there and as these illusions swirl and the illusions kind of coalesce into this flaming skull <laughs> with chains coming out of its eyes and and then the illusions swirl and the dancer becomes this moth as she's hanging there and she sways into the flame and burns and is lowered to the ground as she burns and feigns death on the floor after the performance many in the crowd applaud and in the in the sound and commotion you look over and you you recognize a woman because she looks very similar to the man you had just traveled with except that she is maybe more gaunt and more pale and she comes to your area the guard lets her through without even questioning and she says so you are the you are the group from from Arin Vrood are you not yes indeed we are well it's it's a pleasure to meet you my name is Margaret but if you're friends of Arin you can call me Maggie Hello, Margaret. Uh, Saw, so please be nice and introduce yourself. 
Good evening, Maggie. My name is Saul Moon Isle. It's a pleasure to meet you, and today is going to be a great day. Oh, has today not been a good day already? Uh, not particularly. But it will be. Well, that sounds good to me, Saul. How about the rest of you? Um, I imagine you're Dr. Vivian. I've heard a bit about you. Yes, it is great to meet you. The pleasure is all mine. And you must be Mr. Turner. Volzani took such a... such an interest when he heard you were coming to the country. Absolutely. We are happy to be here and... Well, I hope to be uh, as lucky as Saw feels. The boy must feel lucky because he does not look lucky. He looks like he's had a... Had a bit of a tough go of it. Pain follows me most places I go, Miss Garrity. It's Mrs. O'Leary, and you're in the right country for that. (laughs) (laughs) Next door. You are certainly in the right country for pain to be following you place to place. You might be favored by the gods here. If Zankuthan favors someone who feels chewed up and spit out on a daily basis, I feel like we may be friends. Well, he is a friend of the... Well, the... The downtrodden, as it were. Those that... Those that don't even inflict pain on themselves and just have it constantly are... Are some of his most favored. Well, that makes me feel quite special, doesn't it now, Miss Garrity? Yes, saw you are very special. <laughs> I have a lady suitor. Your grandmother must love you a lot. <laughs> she does. To keep you around. <laughs> we have a very special relationship. I'm working things out with Anya right now. That's very interesting. I don't know who that might be, but um, I suppose I'm... Oh, gl- she's no Martha. I'm so... I su- <laughs> Suppose I'm glad that someone like you can still find love. Um, what I'm here for, though, is uh, your your associate, Arend Vrood, has... Well, he's he's attempted to broker a deal in it all, and... Well, he sent you as the emissaries of that deal. You see, the Whispering Way and in it all, uh, us in the Umbral Court, and... And even the Black Triune are not so different that we couldn't get along. And it seems that in our storied history, in our 10,000 years, as it were, we might have gathered some information that your Mr. Vrood is, uh, well, he's keen on it. He wants to, he wants to have it for, well, I assume reasons of bringing back your master... If you're all members of the Whispering Way, and I assume you are, then, well, what we might have to offer might help you in bringing back uh, a Mr. Buffon. Yes, that would be fantastic. I'm eagerly awaiting my meetrid with him. I don't know what uh, Mr. Vrood told you of the, the price of this, but there is one, and it's a steep one. No price is too high for my tar. Well, I... We, as the Umbral Court, can't just give you this kind of information without Zonkuthan's blessing. And if... 
you already get Zonkathon's blessing. Well, we need to prove you're the sort of people that, well, that he would favor. And to do that, well, you're going to have to go through a great deal of pain. This pain will be temporary, but the knowledge will last forever. I do hope you're up to it. I... I've gone through this pain myself. It's very similar to what you have to you have to endure to become a member of the Umbral Court. It's not a cakewalk, but well, we're gonna have to get your true intentions first. And so I I'd like to take you to um, a temple of sorts. It's called the Dusk Hall. It's where we keep this secret information, the information that you're seeking. Um, and it's also where we do the, well, we do the testing. Are you, are you up to the task? Miss Garrity, uh, earlier today I lost an eye and most of my teeth. I think I can handle your little pain test. I wouldn't scoff at it if I were you, but it's good to be confident. That's that's gonna help you go a long way, Mr. Saw. Thank you. So she would usher you out of the Moth to Flame as the next performance is beginning. And she would bring you to the Dusk Hall. Now, the Dusk Hall is this darkly beautiful building. It soars into the sky in smoky glass and gothic spires. And it's just tinged with a myriad of shades of gray. It seems to stick out in the portion of town it's in as the tallest building. And it almost looks impossibly built. As if something this tall would need more support, but it seems to be lifted from the earth and immense. She would guide you inside. Alright, we're going to need to... Well, we're going to need to grab a couple of my associates. I'm not allowed to do these these kinds of tests alone. You understand, right? Yes, I believe that we do. Alright. And so she would take you to what appear to be a couple of front offices and grab some folks... Um, one, a pallid gray man with greasy black hair that seems to hang over the side of his face. The other, a plump woman missing both of her arms. Do I need to sign a waiver? I don't believe there's any going back after this. So, uh, it's not so much a waiver as it is just your consent to continue forth. If you don't, then, well... We can't give you the information you seek, but but maybe some of your other friends can make it through the trial. No, no, I give you any consent that's needed in order to get me to the end goal of bringing back Tar. I'll do what I can, but if things fall apart and my remains need to go somewhere, I believe I tendered them to one Dr. Vivian Malice. That is correct. I have the paperwork right here. Q, 
Keeping accurate <laughs> records is very helpful for reviewing your experiments. I would recommend a paper trail in the future. Sometimes the mind is not a steel trap. Well, you, you're the best. You've killed Haley. <laughs> <laughs> so she would lead you to the apex of this temple. And it is a room that you enter passing dark black curtains that you spread apart. And you enter this highly vaulted room. And you hear the clanking of chains. And these figures descend. They're some of the most disgusting things you've ever seen, and you all have seen a lot of disgusting things. You saw Saw's eye pop out of his head. These creatures are humanoid-looking, but almost slug-like in the amount of sweat they're putting off. Their skin is pallid and greasy and pockmarked, and they're all missing all of their limbs. They're devoid of any hair. Ugh. And they appear to slump in their chains until they reach ground level, and then they become shockingly alert, and they look at the four of you. And there are several of these I guess you would call them creatures in this room. And one speaks. And there's a tribute. How delightful. Can we taste them? Can we? Can we? I want the, I want the girl. <laughs> Let me taste her. <laughs> and Margaret would say, these are what are called joyful things in that they've given their entire life to Zonkathan. They've endured more suffering than Almost any still-living thing. They used to be men, these things you see before you. You probably have no idea something like this could still be alive. But here they are. What an impressive feat. I would love to learn how. <laughs> I really want to learn more about me. <laughs> Give us a taste. We want to taste her. I'm curious as to what a taste means. Well, um... Agreed. Does, do they want cookies as well? I'm confused. These creatures are going to be able to discern your true intent. But they need to taste you to do it. That did not clear up the definition of taste. Well... It won't hurt your physical body, but you might not come back out the other side the same. Do you wish to proceed? If this is the way to gain the knowledge we seek, it is the only way. Please, 
first, she's first, she's first. And they begin to kind of chant that as you say this. And then the one that's been talking more prominently, well, its tongue stretches five feet, ten feet, twenty feet out of its mouth and begins to coil its way around your body, Dr. Viv. And it finally reaches your shoulders and then your face and covers you and envelops you in darkness. What kind of lick a tongue boa constrictor <laughs> bullshit is this? This sucks. <laughs> I don't like this at all. <laughs> we fade as Dr. Vivian is enveloped. We fade into a scene. We're in a large academic hall and it's bustling with scholarly activity as people uh, discuss theories about what the professor has been teaching them and just in general engage in academic discourse. The professor's assistant steps in and he silences the crowd. He is a half-elf man and he wears his long dark hair back in a ponytail. Well now, class is dismissed. Please be on your way. Uh, the professor has nothing more to teach you today. And the students file out. And as they leave, there is one student not moving. And she's hardly recognizable at this point, but as the camera focuses, we do get a picture of a younger Dr. Viv. The professor's assistant engages in some playful banter with her, teasing her for staying late in class when everyone else has left. They get to talking and soon the conversation deepens. We flash forward to Viv's apartment in Cheliacs, and we hear a knock at the door. It's that same professor's assistant, and he's smiling, and he's carrying a single rose. He... You can see it on his face. He seems smitten. He walks in the door, uh, excited for the evening to come. The two discuss any manner of topics, from things they've studied to things that they're curious about, and the evening drags on to the late hours. Vivian invites him back to her bedroom. And she asks him to give her a second. She needs to change into something more comfortable. The door closes, and you can see him on the other side of the door, fidgeting, and kind of, he seems nervous but excited. And the door opens a crack, and he cracks a smile. He opens the door to a room 
that is pitch black. <laughs> You're playing a trick on me, aren't you, Viv? This is fun. Um, where, where are you? He makes his way into the room, and we hear the door slam. And then a candle is lit. And the room is coated in protective layers as Vivian pins the man down and begins to dissect him slowly. He's gagged, but you can tell he's screaming for his life as she slowly flays him. And we fade to black. And we enter once again to a scene with a now older Dr. Vivian Malice presenting her research to a symposium of esteemed professors and scholars from universities across Galarian. And she is just finishing up her presentation of her life's work. And a man stands up in the crowd and um, he wears the badge of the University of Lepidstadt, another prestigious university in anatomy and physiology. He points down at Vivian Malice. This is barbaric. What she's done... We can't take this into the into the academic sphere as as fact or or anything. It, she's a m- monster. She she's never had a a single patient that survived. And everybody else that's watching this through our lens can see this is a young Adivian adressant. He points at her and he discredits her and he says, Good scholars of Galarian, this research cannot stand. She shouldn't even have a doctorate. She should be locked up. And then we fade back to the room and back to Vivian Malice as the tongue unravels itself from her. And the creature says, <laughs> Yes, she loves to inflict pain. Zankuzan thinks this is... <laughs> oh, she's a good one. But she's really scared. <laughs> Do you know what she's really scared of? Do you? Except <laughs> <that> she's wrong. <laughs> Guess what? She's wrong. She's killed so many people. And and she's done it all for nothing. (laughs) And the tongue retracts off of Vivian. And another shoots out onto Mr. Turner himself. And begins to envelop him as well. As Vivian is sitting there shaking, living her greatest fear in life through a thought, through a creature, through a monster. And as Ed's mouth is covered 
we see a younger Mr. Turner at a tavern. And he sits there with a very drunk lieutenant, former militiaman, captain of the guard, well known in the small town they're sitting in. And he is exchanging words, convincing this man to run for mayor. He he continues to buy the man drinks, and the man continues drinking, and is more and more convinced that, yes, this is what I want to do. I should be mayor. As time goes on, the mayoral election continues, and... We find ourselves at the great debate between this drunkard lieutenant and the majority leader mayoral candidate. Behind the stage, Mr. Turner stealthily sneaks up to this man and touches him, and a vision of the end of the world fogs his mind makes him foam at the mouth and his eyes turn backwards and he goes up to the podium and babbles easy victory for the lieutenant next it's the religious leaders of the town and Ed easily slimes his way between the people of power to rise to the top. The next year, a new holiday is implemented in the town. The mayor is a mere puppet as the town denies science and magic alike and becomes a theocratic state under Turner the day of the lamb the first occurs and a young woman is brought into Mr. Turner's temple shivering scared and alone with the rest of the town cheering Turner on he brutally sacrifices this lamb we fade to another scene many years in the future on another day of the lamb Mr. Turner stands behind the altar with his acolytes now numerous surrounding him in dark purple robes they stand as the rest of the town watches on Mr. Turner cows the crowd and gets them to bring a girl forth. She is not even 14 years old, and she shudders and walks like a baby lamb up between the pews and towards the altar. And Mr. Turner smiles. One of the acolytes hands him the sacrificial dagger. The girl 
is placed on the altar and he raises this dagger. And then he feels this searing cold pain in his lower back. One of his acolytes has stabbed him. And then another comes forth, stabs him in the gullet. Another stabs him, and he continues to feel these wounds, drops the dagger from his hand, and looks on at the crowd, bleeding from his midriff. And then a final acolyte walks up the pews, hooded, until she reaches the altar and removes her hood and is Vivian. What? And she smiles at him as she stabs the blade into his heart and twists. What in the world does that mean? And then we fade back. And Mr. Turner is released by the tongue. <laughs> well, he does want the death of the world, but I don't think he likes to make people feel pain before they go there. I don't know if Zach and Sam would appreciate that. But he is a pretty depraved man. Maybe we can make an exception. <laughs> and then the, the tongue of a third joyful thing wraps around Nana Opal's ankle and it kind of mutters she's really dry she's so old how rude Jesus that's fucking gross (laughs) (laughs) and it continues to wrap up oh fantastic Nana Opal and we're transported to a tranquil town we see a young girl, no older than 16, awake. And we can tell it's her birthday. Her father enters the room with breakfast in bed. The finest baked goods one could ever ask for are delivered to Opal's bed. She partakes and enjoys herself and knows that today, today is going to be a great day because today she is 16 and her father will finally allow her to work in his shop, in his bakery, full time. And that's the only thing she's ever wanted. Her father heads off to work. Honey! Uh, please meet me at the bakery um, as soon as you're able, but it's your birthday. Enjoy your morning. Don't take too much time, but take all the time you want. I won't be mad. And so uh, Opal dawdles around the house, enjoys herself um, until she hears a strange voice in her head. I need you to do something for me, if you would. You're Opal, right? She responds, yes, in her mind, and the voice seems to understand and continue. 
You're going to be very useful to me. But I need you to do a couple of things. I, I need you to... Well, you're going to have to prove yourself. If you would. You see, you have a calling. A higher purpose, as it were. But, well, your dinky little father is dragging you down. My name is Tar. I need you to help me with a little something, if you don't mind. But first, kill that daddy of yours for me. I'd appreciate it. Nanalopal hears this, and it seems like the most joyful voice she's ever heard, strangely enough. She skips out of her house and to the bakery, and her father greets her joyfully. She goes back to the storeroom and grabs a rolling pin. She hefts it in her hand once or twice, testing the weight, before she heads into the selling floor of the bakery. Her father has just finished dealing with a customer and they leave. She hits him so hard over the head, he's immediately knocked unconscious. Dragging him to the back room, she quickly slits his throat. Being careful to collect the blood, it'll be useful for some recipes, she thinks. Opal decides that she's gonna she's gonna run the bakery for a day or so. Maybe offer up free treats to good boys and girls. And the children of the town come readily. Two children are unaccompanied by their parents and they they enter the bakery as well. Little boy is is so very polite and kind, but the little girl reaches for a cookie without asking, and Opal sneers at that. She tells her to be polite, and the girl sticks out her tongue. Opal locks the door of the bakery, ties the little girl up, and begins to flay the skin off the little boy to teach her a lesson. She gets to the soft bones of the child and begins to pick them out. They'd be perfect for her next recipe. The little girl watches in horror. And finally, Opal says, Clean it up. This is your fault. We fade to Virilic, the seat of Tarbafan's power. Nana Opal holds a tome in her hand, bound in flesh and written in blood. The tome she was looking for, something to bring Tarbafan back. And he is. And he appears before her. My, you have grown old, haven't you? What have I always told you? 
If you want to be useful to me, well, you need to remain eternal and look at you. An old hag. Decrepit and disgusting. How could you be of any use to me? <laughs> thank you. I truly, truly thank you for, well, for getting me out of this little sticky wicket. But I don't need you anymore. Thanks for being there when you were. But I'm on to bigger and better things and you'll be dead in like two years. So enjoy your remaining time on Galarian and watch as I ascend to glory and godhood without you. I don't need you and I don't want you. And then we fade back. I'm so upset. <laughs> My heart reaches out to you. I know how much this means. <laughs> Finally, the joyful things set their sights on Sawmoon Isle. Hello. And they encase him in their disgusting green fleshy tongues. The tongues are mm. green? Yes, they mm. are. Gross. Too late. Now you know. <laughs> the more you know. It's like they're constantly sucking on a watermelon slice. <laughs> watermelon slice is red. These guys, these guys love. No, no, it goes, it goes red. Goes, it goes green, white, red, all day, baby. We fade out, and we find ourselves on a ship bound for nowhere yet bound for everywhere. This is clearly a pirate vessel. And it enters combat with a merchant ship. Clearly ill-defended and easy prey. The cannons blast. The cutlasses clang off of one another. And the ship is easily taken. But there are captives. And captives are difficult to deal with. They're difficult to feed, to keep on a ship. And so the captain of this ship sends them down and down and down to the bilges. It's a black room. No light enters this area of the ship. A foot of water rests at the bottom. The foul stench of decay and mold. And something else. Something sickly sweet. And then the crew hears it. A low growl. It starts as... And they shiver in fear. A, a creature... Of that size shouldn't be on a pirate vessel. And then the first one's taken. You hear the claw sink into flesh. As the man is dragged below the foot deep water. And gurgles at the bottom. And yet the rest of the captives can't see what's coming for them. As a tiger begins to rend the captives piece by piece and devour them 
As time goes on, more captives are fed to this beast of the ship. This creature, insatiable. And as it feeds, it feeds the crew's anger, the crew's bloodlust. And they become more daring. And they take bigger ships. And they take more captives. And they continue to feed this monster below. And then the portal to the villages opens and the captain goes below and some light shines and you see a younger Saw Moon Isle sitting there licking his chops and smiling a devilish smile as if to say bring me more we fade out and when we come to we see Saw in a black room there's no light, no discernible walls, but for some reason, Saw is angry, and he begins to change, and he feels that trademark pain. He feels his fingernails fall out and his teeth fall out, and his skin rip open, and then he realizes the unimaginable. He's continuing to change. And he begins to warp back to a man and the fur falls out in tufts and his, his fangs fall out and his eyes rip open from slits to full pupils and his skull falls apart and reforms and then he begins turning into a tiger again and his hands fall off and they regrow his paws and he grows a tail and it rips through the skin of his back his spine elongates and then crushes back against itself and his paws bleed and his skin begins to grow pallid and weak and he can't stop changing he continues to change and his pieces fall off and regrow and he subsists in this pain that lasts for hours and then days and then weeks and his body is dying he can tell through the fugue of pain, he can see himself withering away as his body tries its best to regenerate the features that make up tiger, that make up man, that make up something in between, and it all falls away over and over again. And then in his pain, he finally stops writhing on the floor. He's succumbed to the pain. He can't move anymore. He's too weak. And he sees two figures walk towards him. Eviscerated corpses, bloated from days in the water, torn apart by claws, disemboweled, jugulars ripped open, and yet they speak. Sigh, honey. <laughs> You're worse for wear, I knew. A shitty little child like you would never amount to anything. Oh dear. Yes. What a disappointment. Well, he's not good for much now, is he? 
and Saw continues to change as he watches his parents come closer and closer to him and his claws fall out and he has nothing to defend himself with and his bones break and are brittle as his parents descend on him and begin clawing at him and eating him. And then we fade back. The joyful thing chimes in after this. He's never spent a single second out of pain. Oh, Zonkathon will love him. And they kind of retreat back up on their chains. It almost looks like, um, I hate to put this in modern terms, but if you've seen Spider-Man 2, when Doc Octopus climbs up a up a building, it looks like that, but with chains. Um, and one remains. The largest, fattest, most grotesque and pallid of all of them. They are worthy. Zonkuzan would smile on them. (laughs) And he rises up as well. And you have now three members of the Umbral Court as witness to the joyful things deciding your fate, deciding your character and deciding that Zankuthan would be aligned with you. So, Maggie would speak. So it seems that, well, you're worthy of the information. That's, that's one thing. But if Zankuthan truly does smile on you, and you'd like to forge an alliance with Nadal, like... Oren has told me, then, well, would any of you be willing to undergo the blessings of Zonkathan? Now, it is not a painless process, don't get me wrong, but you will come out of it much stronger than previously. Excuse me, but will I be required to no longer worship Tarbafan? Well, worshiping a false deity is obviously antithesis to what Zonkuthan desires. So, uh-huh. yes, you would need to worship him. Not Tarbafan, who is not a god, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> what would this blessing entail? Well, it would make you powerful beyond normal reckoning. You'd be master of the shadows. But it does come at a cost. It requires great torture and submission to Zonkathan's will. You must worship our god and forgo yours. I have made my progress so far through my own scientific discoveries. I owe no true allegiances to any god. Well, your discoveries 
are somewhat aligned with the Midnight Lord, in that you cause great suffering for the greater good, as does he. If you were to accept his blessing, I imagine it would be a great boon to your research, Vivian. I could make them all understand. They would have to listen to me then. I don't believe they'd have a choice. What about the rest of you? I don't know. I... I really don't think that I can switch my beliefs just like that. And that's fine, Opal. I don't think that... I did... Well, I never assumed that all of you would... would agree to such a thing, but... If some of you would, it would certainly strengthen the alliance between Nadal and the Whispering Way. I will need to politely decline, then. I've spent years and years worshipping the one and only, so... I'm gonna stick with that. I don't want to disappoint him. And say, per se, that I took you up on your offer, I would have to be a Zonkuthite. Yes, that's true. I'm sorry, that's not something I can be... The gods have shown no mercy on my wretched soul, and I will show no reverence for theirs. I appreciate your offer, but respectively, fuck the gods. You may one day learn to eat those words. I'm sure I will, and I'll live bright and die hard. Why... As much as I would love and do love the offer, I really do have to decline, for Grotus really does shine through me in mysterious ways. Well, I do respect your opinion as a man of the cloth. I think... More than anyone here, I hardly expected you to take the offer myself, but I figured I'd put it out there. So then, Vivian, are you taking the bargain? I am. Goodbye, Viv. So, the three of you saw Nana Opal and Edward Turner are left behind and Vivian is taken to another chamber much deeper in the dusk hall Vivian you see an entire group of Cuthites surround you as you enter this large amphitheater there is barely any light and what does shine through is a deep purple hue. A portal sits in the center of the room. Black and shining like an oil lake and you are ushered forth towards it. You pass the threshold and Margaret backs off and joins hands with the rest. The rest of the umbral court welcoming you 
to their faith. You stand on the precipice of the portal, and you are chained. First your wrists, then your ankles are chained and pulled unceremoniously, and you feel the tug, and it hurts, and then it burns, and then you feel your joints pull out of their sockets. And as you sit there, you realize that you look like one of your most known diagrams of a human, splayed out, arms and legs spread apart, far apart, as the Cuthites begin to make small incisions in you. And it almost looks like an image from one of your notebooks. It's detailed. And it's almost artistry, you think. As they begin to carve you open. And then... A deeper darkness... Ascends from the portal. And it envelops you. And you hear the chanting of all the 30 people around you and it begins to sound like one voice speaking the praises of Zonkathan and you feel it for the first time as he rises from the portal a pale man in dark leather bondage rises up from the portal 20 feet tall his skin flayed and spread and stretched across his body he says nothing to you but outstretches a hand and it's far bigger than yours but even in your binds you feel the strength and the pull to hold it and his lips are gone he doesn't have any they've been cut off long ago but you can still tell he smiles at you despite a lack of light in his eyes he smiles at you and outstretches his hand and you take it and you feel a chill to your bones to your core it almost feels like your organs stop moving as he touches you and you touch divinity and now I'm going to roll a percentile chance to see if between the flaying and the meeting with Zonkathan if Dr. Vivian survives this good luck if only I had a hero card (laughs) (laughs) so I'll say Below a 25, Viv doesn't. All right. 44. Yay! And Dr. Vivian Malice awakens from this state almost as if out of a dream. And the chanting has stopped and the portal is gone. And there almost seems to be nothing in this room, and she realizes she is naked and alone. In this spot where a second ago it feels like there were 
30 people and a god reaching out to her. Her clothing is there. She dons it and leaves through the nearest door. And her friends are there waiting for her. Now, what color were Vivian's eyes? Brown. When the rest of the party sees Vivian, the whites of her eyes are black. And in the center, she has a pulsing purple iris. She's seen the shadow plane and come back. And mechanically, this means that Dr. Viv is immune to all spells with the shadow domain. Is. Has DR5. Versus anything besides good. Or silver. And has regeneration one. And the only way that is stopped is by good or silver. This ability will grow with her as she grows in her faith to Zangathan. And she realizes a simple thing that she's left out of her research thus far. Something that she hopes to incorporate in the future. How does the body react to extreme pain? What depths can I take the body to while keeping it alive that subject it to the toughest tortures imaginable? And this consumes Viv's mind as she smiles and realizes that Zonkathon smiles upon her. Margaret comes and delivers the tome, bound in flesh and written in, bu- in blood. It contains the secrets to bringing back Tarbafan. It is thousands of years old, older than most Galarian civilizations, and yet here it rests in your palms. And you feel you have succeeded in your quest in Nadal. And this strange place carries itself in at least Vivian's heart as you depart and return to Usulav. And I need you to finish your drinks because we'll see you. Well, when we see you. That would be two months. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I knew it.